Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning physically. And if you're chiming in on live stream, welcome as well to New Hope Community Church as we walk into this new series called 1%. Yeah, I'm talking 1%, baby. Come on, 1%. Turn here for 1%. One, 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 one percent. Oh, yeah, 1%. Come on in for 1%. You know, the street corner, you know, I, I mean, how many people are like, turn, baby, hey, hey, turn, 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 that's 1%, turn, right? I mean, women aren't clicking on 1% at Kohl's, ooh, 1%, <sighs> click, 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 right? I mean, you get up to that 30, 40, 50% off, oh, click, click, I mean, 1% at Cabela's right now during hunting season, it's not like, oh, guys are like, oh, 1%. Right? But you get, oh, 50% off camel. They're like, oh, click, 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 right? I mean, 1% isn't that sexy today. It doesn't move people. People walk right by 1%. Right? That's how it is. But what if we would pause and look at what maybe 1% difference in how we lived impacted our life and another's? Just 1%. You know, it's interesting. I've been shopping at Fleet Farm since it's opened, and that, and I walk in and, and you get two receipts, right? You get the long receipt and you get this short quarter receipt that always says four cents off at the tank, you know, at your gas. And I get gas there typically, and that, and I'm always just like, oh, that four cents thing. I pick it up, it's on the floor of my car, you know, it's I just like got to throw it out, you know, that kind of thing. And then I thought, well, what? would it look like if I actually cashed in the four cents? Like if on an average week, we used 30 gallons of gas, which was $1.20 a week, which at the end of the year was $62.50. I'm thinking, hey, I could take my wife out for dinner. You know, I could get this or that. Or like $62.50 and over 10 years, $620, you know, $5. Like, whoa, hey, that's a purchase of something. So in the bigger picture, it's like, hey, that little means a lot. What would it look like, for example, if you went down, which a lot of us look to do just 1% in a mortgage over 30 years, say a $200,000 home, $160,000 mortgage, and you take it down a percentage or whatever, roughly you could save up to $30,000 over the term of that loan. And so when you're done paying by the time you're 80, right? No, I'm just kidding. You know, say hopefully 65 or whatever. Man, you saved $30,000. I mean, what can you do with $30,000? I mean, you can buy 7,334 medium Dairy Queen blizzards. Did you know that? Now I got your attention. You could drive 240,963 miles at 20 miles per gallon. I mean, you could drive across America and back 40 times if you wanted to with that. I mean, you could buy 883 rounds of golf with a cart. <laughs> you could buy 504,000 yards, yards of medium weight yarn. 504,000 yards right there. I mean, that's the equivalent of 503 sweaters, people, right? You know, depending on size, right? I mean, you could do that. You could travel around the world on $30,000. Of course, you'd have to leave your spouse or significant other home. You could, it's just one person. 
in Nepal or Or you could start 90 churches in Nepal or Africa, 330 a shot. You could feed 1,363 or 136,000 children a meal. You could provide 1,250 people clean water for the rest of their life. You could provide health care, education, and food for eight children over a 10-year period of their life and transform another individual. Now, if none of these are attractive to you that I've been talking about here, then your last option is you can just give your money to me. <laughs> so just let me know, all right, if nothing suits your fancy, right? In the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament, there's this guy called Zerubbabel. You know, a lot of people aren't naming their kids Zerubbabel today, you know, but it's sort of a fun name. It sort of just flows off your lips, right? And in the Old Testament book, Zechariah, in Zechariah 4.10, it says this, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. You see, Zerubbabel was an influential political and religious leader in Israel during the time when the Jewish slaves were starting to come back from Babylonian captivity. You see, in 587 BC, the Babylonians destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, destroyed the community, took it down to ruins, and it was in rubbish. So much so, for the next 50 years, it was referred to as the dung heap. That's what people referred to it for the next 50 years. Jerusalem as the dung heap. When Persia overthrew the Babylonians, the king of Persia then came to Zerubbabel and said, listen, I want you to go back and I want you to rebuild the temple who were in... When the people who were in slavery to the Babylonians showed up in their hometown, it was devastated, overwhelming. You know what it's like in life to be up against an overwhelming situation. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's career. Sometimes it's relationship, financial. And you feel like there's no sense doing anything. Why give any effort, right? It was interesting. My wife and I were on a home tour last spring in Minneapolis, and it was historic homes that were renovated. And one of the particular homes that we went into was a hoarder home. The individual actually lived across the street, had this historic home across the street, and it was just filled. It was with hoarding. Matter of fact, like before every room you went into, there was this before picture of what the room looked like. I mean, this one room was just full of bicycles. This other room just full of like old vacuum cleaners. It was just crazy. You know, here's this picture uh, that, you know, just like crazy. And, and I'm sure the owners, when they walked in, were just like, whoa. I mean, I mean the, every room. It's just like, what, what, I mean, where do you start? What, does it even pay? I mean, the smell and the, and the, and it was so interesting in visiting with them over this and, and their mindset that in reality, 
it took eight months to just empty the house of all that was in there, 30 dumpsters to get rid of it. And this was the feeling of the people when it came to walking back into their community that was devastated. But this is what God spoke over Zerubbabel. He said, then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple and his hands will also complete it. Meaning, hey, it is going to happen. And God speaks over Zerubbabel and says, listen, do not despise small beginnings. Start somewhere, do something, make a little step and keep moving. Just start with 1%. And God says, you will see there will be a day when Zerubbabel will take the capstone and put it on the foundation of the temple and the city and it will be completed. It will be done. The amazing difference 1% can make when we do something. You know, this home, this 1% from here, just crazy to hear of the difference it makes. So when it comes to 1%, a little can turn into a lot. So 1% makes a difference. So what would it look like for us as a church to live 1% more in our lives, first of all, when it comes to being welcoming? You know, when it comes to not just being welcoming here in our church, but welcoming at home in our marriage or with our kids or in our neighborhoods or among the people we work with or out in public? Are you a welcoming individual or not? What do you wear on your face most of the time? Is it a smile? Is it a frown? What is your demeanor? What's it like? There was an individual here at New Hope Community Church, they still attend, but he shared his life story a couple years back, but his peers at work called him Mad Dog because he was mad. He was. He was an angry, mad person. Nobody wanted to be around him. Matter of fact, I mean, if people had to like deliver him information or, you know, uh, reports, that kind of, I mean, they were just like, no, you go in. I ain't going in, you go in. I'm not going in there, you go in. I mean, it's just like, because he just barked at people, he, he yelled at people, he like, get out of here. You know, I mean, it was just, but Jesus got into his life and he, he's been transformed. He's one of the most welcoming people. I know. But statistically, it's interesting that they say within churches, when new people come in, they'll decide within 10 minutes if they're going to stay, period, if this will be their church. It has nothing to do with really the worship or speaking or those kind of things. It has to do with the atmosphere. Are people here welcoming? Are they inviting? Do they notice me? What is the, the feeling of this place. What do we wear on our face? So often when we see people, we tend to notice the difference in them as opposed to the likeness that we have with them. It's interesting in Bernie May's book, Living and Learning to Trust, 
He talks about the Maztec Indians in southwestern Mexico and their interesting lifestyle. They live with this concept, which is referred to as limited good. Limited good. They believe there's only so much good, so much knowledge, so much love that can go around. So to teach another means you are going to drain yourself of your own knowledge. To love a second child means that you have to love the first child that much less. To say, hi, how are you doing? Have a great day, means that you are actually giving away part of your happiness that you may never get back. And so they live amongst one another with this limited good mentality. And I wonder, in our world today, in our lives, if we have this as well. We see in the Bible, in Jesus' life, that he didn't live with this limited good mentality. We see that in Luke chapter 19, he's walking into the community of Jericho. He's coming down this road. The crowds are alongside the road. And he sees this man up in the tree called Zacchaeus. He's short, so he gets up in the tree because he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus sees him and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come to your house for dinner. And the people around start to mutter. It literally says they start to mutter, 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 mutter. And they say, why is he going to the house of a sinner? Why would he go hang out with this guy? Why would he be welcoming to this guy? Because they knew Zacchaeus was a thief. They didn't like Zacchaeus as a tax collector. But we see that in welcoming Zacchaeus and spending time with him, Zacchaeus' life is transformed. And he says, hey, if I've ripped anybody off, I'll pay him back four times. You know, his doorbell was ringing. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, buddy. You know, I'll give half of what I own to the poor. Because Jesus was welcoming to all. So here's my charge to you this morning. What in your belief about others and demeanor needs to change to portray a welcoming spirit to others? I mean, how welcoming are we here when it comes to a church at New Hope to others who may be different than us? I mean, when you come in and somebody's sitting in your seat that you sit in every Sunday, in your head, are you like, dude, dude, (laughs) I'm here. My seat, right? I mean, we think that way, don't we, sometimes? We approach it that way. I mean, what about our holy huddles that, boy, we come and we talk to the same people every week. We do not talk to anybody else or reach out to anybody else. What does that look like in your home, in your workplace, amongst your neighbors, out in public? Are you welcoming? What does it look like like if you had a 1% more high? Hey, hi, how are you doing today? Hey, hi, as you're out and about. What would it look like if you had a 1% more heart of gratitude or being thankful or saying thank you, whether it's at home, whether it's out in public as you're being served. Hey, thank you very much for serving me. You did a great job. 
within your business world or school world or wherever it might be. 1% more in those areas. And then just being welcoming, right? There's a reason Jesus calls us light in darkness. We are to be welcoming. But from welcoming, what would it look like if you increased 1% in your serving? Belfredo Pareto had this concept, right? The 20-80 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. He got that out of Italy where he lived and realized 20% of the people owned 80% of the land. He realized, boy, this concept goes across the board as well. In his garden, he realized that, hey, 20% of the pea pods created 80% of the peas. And when it comes to volunteering, even across America, it's a 20-80 rule, a little more higher to 30%. But as Christ followers within the church, it should be flipped around. It should be the 80-20 rule where 80% of us serve and do 20%. That way we don't get burned out or bitter, right? And we come together and we enjoy serving together and we get to know one another and it's more of a party than anything else. And we see this in the life again of Jesus, who we follow. We see that he says in Matthew 20, 28, for even the son of God, God in the flesh came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see right before Jesus goes to the cross to die on the cross, be buried, resurrect on the third day so our sins could be forgiven, so we could be made right with God forever for eternity, that Jesus walks into the upper room where he told his disciples to meet him and realizes that none of their feet were washed. In that culture, when there was a gathering, there would always be a slave assigned to the door to wash people's feet. The reason it was a slave is because nobody else wanted the job. I mean, it was a culture where they wore sandals, they walked everywhere, it was muddy, it was stinky. Woo, a lot of toe jam. Nobody wanted it. But he walks into the room and recognizes that, hey, none of the disciples, none of his boys' feet have been washed. And so he goes and he takes the basin of water and the towel and he washes their feet. And then he makes this comment at the end, John 13, 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's saying, hey, now that the God of the universe, the God that created you in your mother's womb, the God that gave you breath today and will give it tomorrow, just bowed down before you and washed your feet. And my charge to you is now go do it to other people. And what do we see? We see that these 12 guys go out and they serve others and it results in where you are today, (laughs) the church. Here it is, us, because of their serving. Jesus' challenge to them. And so my challenge to you, my charge to you is, boy, if you're not serving at all, check out the I'm in cards on our rack right outside this door and look at where's it I could serve. Once a month, just once a month, where is it I could just serve and make a difference in another person's life? And then I challenge you, outside of New Hope, where can you serve in your community, in your city, where you live, once a month? And you need to be intentional about this. It can't be just like, well, if something comes up, right? No, we have to be people of intention. Hey, I'm going to go out and find a place that I would really enjoy serving others and helping to make 
a difference in another person's life. When it comes to 1%, don't despise small beginnings. What would it look like for us to live 1% more in our welcoming, 1% more in our serving another? And what would it look like, lastly, 1% more in our giving? Yes, financially, our generosity with our finances. You know, statistically across the board, uh, churches around the world, they say that 50% of the people that attend on a regular basis don't give anything. So that means that half of this room, uh, as they, you come to New Hope and that, don't provide financially towards the vision and mission and, and what New Hope Community Church is heading towards, which is to see the presence of Jesus in Isani County and beyond, to see every life transformed, every marriage, every family, every community, every business, every school, every healthcare, every recreation, everything transformed. The other 50% provides 2.5% of giving, which thank you very much. New Hope still exists because of that 2.5%. But what would it look like, including myself, if I said, hey, if I increased it 1%, what would it be if you've never given to say, what if I would just give 1%? Just start there. And if I give, what would it look like if I increased my giving just 1%? Man, it would increase a quarter to a third of what we can do financially around us, what the results would be. You know, I heard Kelly earlier mention some of those results of, hey, we have all kinds of middle school students up at camp, they're coming back right now, who went up to meet Jesus. You know, we had a marriage retreat over the weekend here, people focusing on just strengthening their marriage and enjoying one another. Last week, we had opportunity for people to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, and seven people gave their life to Jesus Christ last Sunday, right? So how good is that? I mean, that's an eternity. That's like an eternity deal, like a forever deal there. In August, we had 25 people go public in baptism. We have another baptism coming up at the end of this month where you can go public and be baptized. You know, in any given week, we have 275 children and youth come through the doors of New Hope to hear about Jesus and to be rooted and established secure in their relationship and identity in him. And New Hope Community Church has 15 different partnerships with nonprofits in the area to help and assist and come alongside them. You know, one of them was Family Pathways Food Shelf, where we had our mutter on our property here, which we were able to raise $15,000 to help feed the people in Isani County on a monthly basis who have food shortage. We have 17 missionaries, and we just added a young couple with three little kids from Bram who are heading to Paraguay in the spring to bring Jesus to other people's lives. Your 1%, just 1%, makes an incredible impact in the lives around you. And so my charge to you is just, hey, if you've never given, just start giving by just 1%, period. I mean, if you make $200 a week, that's 20 cents. Just start giving 20 cents. That's it, whatever it might be. I love what Jesus said in the word, in the Bible, because it backs up this idea of giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 8, it says, remember this, 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So ultimately, it's, it's up to you of where is it you want to be in your financial generosity. But I love what God says then. He says, and God is able then to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So basically it's saying, hey, when you release, don't worry about it. It's gonna come back to you. When we live like this, it goes out. But if we live like this open-handedly, God can bring in, right? But if we live like this, nothing can go out. But the challenge with this is nothing comes in either. Nothing can come back. And so God says, listen, I'll take care of you as you live generously. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. There's a story told about a beggar one day along the roadside who asked Alexander the Great for some money as he passed by. The beggar had no position to ask the king for anything. He had no favor with the king. Yet the emperor threw him some gold coins. One of the king's men was astounded at his generosity and commented to the king, sir, copper coins would have been adequate for this beggar. Why give him gold? Where Alexander responded in royal fashion, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. This is how I want to live as a generous person. So when it comes to our life, what suits us when it comes to welcoming, when it comes to serving, when it comes to giving? And what difference, really, could 1% increase make? Well, to close, I want to share with you a life story from a couple at our Isani campus who started coming a couple years ago as a picture of what 1% does. Let's watch. Hi, my name is AJ. This is my wife, Amanda. We've been married for five years. We have three beautiful children. Um, life before Jesus was, um, I would consider like cloudy, um, there was a lot going on, so I just want to make sure I get it right. I wrote some stuff down. Before Jesus, I always think of it, I was not a very nice person. I didn't seem to care about other people or their feelings. I didn't always think of it this way, but I felt scared and alone, almost as if I was on autopilot, just living life and not caring about the rest of the world. The turning point for us um, in our lives and our walk with the Lord um, started in 2014. Um, my stepmom, Jody was diagnosed with stage four cancer. So I knew who Jesus was, mm -hmm. I just never knew who Jesus was, you know. In that same year, we dealt with, uh, we got married. Um, we found out we were pregnant with our second daughter. AJ's uh, parents were going through a really hard addiction. The big part for me was when she would go help her stepmom all the time, and I felt like our relationship didn't exist at all. Um, and then, just somebody we knew was going to New Hope and um, told us to come here. And anger, he was really angry with me. 
during that time, um, and rightfully so, because I was not focused here. When we started coming to New Hope, and um, we we came thinking, I mean, my thought was like, man, I could not be like those people who go to church. Like, that is not me. I am not good enough. Like, walking into New Hope for the first time, I was like, I'm probably never going to come back here. And that was my mindset going in to the doors. Um, and then I go, you go walk in and you're just like, they're just like me. They're everyday people who struggle, who have hard times and it's okay. And God still loves us and you're still important. Yeah. And I have noticed that I'm not the mean, angry person that I was. I don't feel like a bully. Not until actually two years after we started coming. Um, we had a real tragic event in our family. Um, our two nephews passed away. And we went down to be with uh, my brother at the time. And just seeing the devastation, uh, we knew that there is something more, um, that that they are in heaven. When you see that kind of devastation and you're, you're there, you just, you just know. I felt really peaceful when I was, when we went down there and the only thing that I could explain that was that God was with me and my family during that chaotic time. And after that, I was like, I'm living for the Lord because he's with me.